0: You're listening to the D&B Supply Show Podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, today we are going to be talking all about bees, and it is that time of year. It is spring, and it is time to start thinking about raising bees, getting our bees going, the swarming season. I mean, all sorts of stuff that I am just learning, but we've got an expert guest coming on to you today who really has a passion for bees and it was a real pleasure to conduct this interview and i think it's going to be a real pleasure for you to hear all about it and you know raising bees is so important it's something you can do in a small footprint There on your property. You get just a wonderful reward out of it with the honey and all of the other products that the bees will manufacture for you. And it's a real great way to get involved in agriculture that benefits yourself and everybody else and all the plants around you. So I hope you enjoy this interview and I hope you enjoy getting to know our guest. Joining us today is Melinda Jean Stafford, who is a beekeeper and currently is managing the Boise State Bee Team at Boise State University, in addition to her responsibilities as the campus programs coordinator there at Boise State, and she's the president of Treasure Valley Beekeepers Club, and last but not least, she is a blogger for D&B Supply, talking all about bees and beekeeping. So Melinda, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm looking forward to talking bees with you today. And really telling our listeners a lot about what they can do. I think there's a growing interest in beekeeping, and I think that's a real good thing.
1: I think so, too.
0: Okay. Well, let's start off like this. Can you tell our listeners how you got involved in bees and beekeeping and how it's led you to the point you're at now?
1: I got involved in beekeeping in a way that I don't know that many people could compare to. I got handed some hives at a job that I had received at Boise State when I first started working there. I got hired in 2013 as the manager of the game center, which is the bowling and billiards facility. Mm -hmm. And as kind of a side duty, other duties as assigned, as many job descriptions have, I was asked to manage some interns that were given the task of managing some beehives on the roof of the Student Union Building. And that was a project that some environmental study students had started about three years prior to that. And they said, "Well, are you interested in in managing this project and these interns and hiring interns semesterly?" I thought, "Heck, that'd be kind of fun." Mm-hmm. And I grew up on a farm and a ranch, and so I thought it would be kind of a neat way to bring back some of my agricultural upbringing. But little did I know that I knew absolutely nothing about bees, and so I felt this responsibility to really go out and do some more research. So I got connected with the Treasure Valley Beekeepers Club, and the folks in that organization really took me under their wing, mentored me, and therefore mentored the students, and that program has since grown from an internship program into a student organization, the B Team that you mentioned, Uh and so now I advise that club and have been highly involved since the get-go.
0: Awesome. Well, I like the pun you just used. I don't know if you did that on purpose, but they took you under their wing.
1: They did! <laughs> the bee puns never end. No. I find new ones every day. That's a good one.
0: Okay, well, so you said you grew up on a farm and ranch. Where was that?
1: Out in Oriana, Idaho. So, which folks in the, the small towns might know where that is, but uh-huh. for folks in the city, it's it's due south of Boise between the other booming metropolises of Murphy and Grandview. Uh-huh. So, it's right out in the foothills of the Waihee Mountains, and my dad farms alfalfa and also has some cattle.
0: Oh, excellent. Mm. All right, well, there's some real Idaho heritage out there in yep. Hawaii County. There is. Very, very cool. Well, uh, it's our pleasure to have you and to be able to tap into your expertise on bees. And, you know, I mentioned at the, the beginning of the show that it seems like the involvement in people raising their own bees is increasing. Are you seeing anything that reflects that at Boise State?
1: Yeah. So there's Most of the beekeepers that you'll probably notice in the area are older folks. So a lot of the members of the Treasure Valley Beekeepers Club are 40s, 50s, 60s in age. And so the bee team at Boise State has really allowed students of a younger age to get involved in beekeeping. So I haven't noticed a ton of young people in beekeeping until this organization really started bringing in more students beekeeping costs some money to start up. Mm -hmm. And so it's not something that a lot of young people really have the ability to financially do. So, Having an organization like the bee team where students can get involved at no cost to themselves, Mm -hmm. can learn to manage hives and then get the confidence to then carry that on. So I've seen a lot of students that are alums from the bee team program go on, get their own hives and start managing bees on their own. But there's not a ton of young people in beekeeping. It's still Mm -hmm. very much a hobby of older folks.
0: Oh, okay. Well, and we just recently got into it on in our place mm-hmm. here in CUNA. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Well, it's and what a reward mm-hmm. when you do harvest your own honey and it's so delicious. It's a, it's a pretty fun day.
1: It is. That's really the pinnacle of most beekeepers years, I would say.
0: All right. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we take our first break and then we'll come back and we'll jump
2: into some questions about how to do this. Sounds great. A well-worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark for hardworking and hard-playing people in the West, and everywhere else for that matter. Find your next pair of long-lasting, great-looking, made-in-the-USA Danner boots At D&B Supply, hold a Danner boot in your hand and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots to handcrafted work boots to fashion forward looks to fit your daily life, stop on by D&B Supply to try Danner boots on for size.
3: During calving season, your livestock operation really comes alive. On your ranch, be born ready with Powder River Livestock Handling Equipment, available at D&B Supply. For almost 80 years, Powder River has stood out as leaders in the livestock handling field with continuous equipment innovation to help ranchers work up close with their livestock safely and with minimal stress. To bring your calves into the world, then bring them upright, stop on by select D&B Supply stores for Powder River Livestock Handling handling equipment. All
0: right, Melinda, well, now that we're back, I want to ask you about, and this is a suggestion by you, so I've got a smile on my face, but the number one rule in beekeeping, what is that?
1: So I I teach this to every new beekeeper that I mentor with the bee team. and any class I teach, I always start out with the number one rule in beekeeping, which is that there are no rules. And that's a very important thing to remember because if you ask five different beekeepers how to do something, you Mm -hmm. might get about 10 or 15 different answers. And really what that rule means is that in, beekeeping practices, there's an end goal or an end result, but the way to get there often looks very different. So it's important as a new beekeeper to not take any single person's word as the gospel because there's often a lot of other ways to get to that same result. So because of that, I encourage people to do their research, read some good Articles with mm-hmm. solid background and that are known to be good quality, ask multiple people and then try something out that you feel comfortable with and see if it works. But it's really important to keep in mind that there's lots of ways to get to the same result. So there's just no solid rules. Okay. So we always keep that in mind.
0: Okay. And do you have any suggestions on things that people should read as they're is they're getting into this?
1: Yeah, so there's a few uh there's a few books out there that I think are really helpful. The Beekeeper's Handbook mm-hmm. is a really good one that has lots of pictures and really good glossary so you can look up different topics the beekeepers handbook is the one that i ask all the students at boise state to go through and it's also the one that we heavily use in the treasure valley beekeepers club and it's great so that's, that's a good one, and there are some websites that I encourage people to check out. Scientificbeekeeping.com is a really good one. It's a little heavy on the the science jargon, so if that's something that kind of intimidates some folks, then it, it might be a little dense. But it has really good scientific research and studies that a mm-hmm. uh, gentleman, Randy Oliver, out in Nevada has done with his bees and he posts what he finds. And so it's, it's really good backed up information. I think another great resource is the Bee informed partnerships website, which I think is be They have some great information that's research-based.
0: Okay. Well, why do you think it's important for people to get involved in beekeeping?
1: I think it depends on a couple of factors. So I would say that I find beekeeping to be a really valuable way to appreciate our world in a little bit of a different way. So that's kind of, you know, a very 6,000 foot level way to look at beekeeping. But I have found that as a beekeeper, I view everything differently. I view and appreciate the food that I eat a little bit more. I appreciate good weather and the opportunity to get out and inspect my hives a little bit. And I see how much hard work goes into harvesting honey and, and some of the products that you can make with beeswax. So I just, I feel like it's allowed me to appreciate my world in a different way and, and notice things that I didn't notice before. But I, so I think that's a valuable takeaway for a lot of people. But another reason that I think it's important to get involved in beekeeping is because these pollinators are so crucial to our economy and mm-hmm. our food sources that understanding how to care for them can be a really great way to focus on our sustainability over time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. When you start researching and reading up on it, you really recognize how important bees are to everything that, right. that we want to grow. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, great. Okay. Well, let's talk about some of the things that bees need to survive. So what do they need? If we're going to keep bees in our homes, on our properties, wherever it may be, mm-hmm. what do we have to make sure they have so they can survive?
1: So there's three things that I always encourage people to, to focus on when they're going to manage bees. So While there's no rules in beekeeping, there are three things that a beekeeper should focus on, and one is they need a dry place to live. So if you're going to have a hive, you want to make sure to put it somewhere that it's not consistently damp Mm -hmm. so keeping it up off the ground making sure that it's maybe in an open area that gets lots of sun and that you give the hive proper ventilation which is something that we could talk about in detail a little bit later Mm -hmm. but they need a dry place to live bees do not thrive in wet soggy environments that doesn't mean you should put a tent over your hive or something crazy like that Mm -hmm. but they need to be they need to stay dry so that's that's important in summer fall winter spring all seasons The second thing that bees need is they need food. So that may seem like a no-brainer, but there are times of the year, right now being one of them, where it's starting to warm up, Mm -hmm. but there's not a lot to forage off of. There's not a lot of things in bloom. So if you want your hive to thrive and survive, it's important to provide food to your bees. So if there's not natural resources available, sugar syrup can be a great option. And then the final thing that beekeepers need to provide is parasite management. Varroa mites are a real pest to beekeepers these days. And if we don't actively manage them, the hives will not thrive.
0: Okay. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Then how do you manage something like mites?
1: So it depends on the time of year and it depends on the level of the problem. So the way to manage mites is to first off know what kind of damage they're doing to your hive and so to do that you have to sample some bees to see how many mites approximately are in your hive and so the way that I sample is I have a mason jar, a glass mm-hmm. mason jar, and I note with a sharpie on it where a half cup mark is. Okay. So I pour some water in it, mark where that line is, dump the water out. And then, uh, what I do is I take the, the ring that you screw the lid on with mm-hmm. and I remove the flat piece and I replace it with some hardware screening so that liquid can come out, but bees can't. Okay. And so then that's my little device. And then I get some isopropyl alcohol, which is rubbing alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I pour some into my jar and then I have to take a sample of bees. Now, a lot of people struggle with this because the sample is going to die. Mm -hmm. But it's important to keep in mind that in a hive of 40 to 60,000 bees, which is their population in the spring and summer, 300 bees, which is a half cup, is a very small drop in the pond. Mm -hmm. So it's important as a beekeeper to cut your losses and and use that sample to tell you something about your hive. So I I gather a sample of 300 bees in the mason jar just by swiping the jar down a frame. The bees roll into the jar. They die when they hit the alcohol. And I I really look and make sure it's as accurate of a sample as possible. And I sit and swirl it and swirl it for a while, let it sit, swirl it for another minute or so, let it sit. And then I'll take like a clear, clear, plastic bin or lid to like a D and B bucket or something. Mm -hmm. And I'll pour the alcohol out, but the bees will remain in, but those mites will die with the bees and they'll fall off and you can count them visually with the naked eye. Okay. And you can tell, okay, if a half cup of bees is 300 and I have 15 mites, that's 5%. That's five per 100. Okay. 5% is, is four or 5% is where I consider your hive being in danger. Okay. And so if I see that number, then I, I have to choose to treat or not treat. And I choose to treat because I found that my hives perform better and live over the winter, Mm -hmm. which is one of my goals as a beekeeper. And so depending on the time of year, I'll choose a treatment that is, uh, corresponds to the temperatures that we have at a certain time of year.
0: Okay. So some people choose not to treat then it sounds like. Correct. Okay. So what, what is the rationale behind not treating?
1: I think that some folks think going to beekeeping and want to do it from an all natural perspective, Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, the way that bees were meant to live, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the, the problem that folks face with not treating is that bees are dealing with, with issues and parasites and diseases that they didn't deal with 50 even just 40 years ago sure so um so treating bees and managing them in this um, old style way that people have read about in these older books just isn't really as feasible anymore because we have varroa mites we have other um, diseases and because we're hauling bees all over the country for pollination purposes Mm -hmm. those diseases and 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 varroa mites spread a lot quicker okay So uh, it's it's not a valid way to manage bees today. It was maybe years ago, Mm -hmm. but it's not relevant anymore.
0: Okay, well, great. Well, I'll tell you what, let's take another break. And when we come back, let's talk about utilizing local resources to help
3: you with this. Sounds great. Hamilton Carhartt started sweating the details back in 1889. Carhartt started to stitch together workwear made to stand up to steel, smoke, and the industrial revolution. Ever since, Carhartt gear has survived in the most rugged corners of the world and thrived in the harshest conditions at work or home. In 1959, a couple of fellas named Dutch and Bud set up their first supply shop in Idaho to outfit people in the West with only the best. When you need the stuff of legends, even just to make it through the work day, stop in for some Carhartt at your favorite. D&B Supply. Know what boots work as hard as you do? Georgia Boots, available to try on for size at D&B Supply. If you're on your feet all day, Georgia Boots knows the feeling. That's why they've designed exclusive comfort systems that cushion and support down to the bottom of your soles. While on the surface, they shield you from tough conditions with one of the most durable leathers out there. See why they earned the nickname of America's Hardest Working Boots and pick up a pair of Georgia Boots at your favorite D&B Supply. All right.
0: Well, now that we're back, let's talk about resources. So, you know, where can people find resources to help them get started and be successful locally?
1: I think one of the best resources is to use folks that live near you because the way you would manage hives in, say, Georgia or Florida or Louisiana or even California is going to be different than the way we would manage bees here so you can go online and google some resources and look at youtube videos but those folks might live in areas with different weather patterns and climate zones and we are here so i find it helpful to really connect with some folks here that are successful so finding a mentor can be one of the best resources possible and you can get connected with a mentor through the treasure valley beekeepers club Mm -hmm. they have a process for matching people and their website is idabees.org so i-d-a-b-e-e-s.org and you can come to monthly meetings the membership fees are ten dollars a year so i think that that's pretty, pretty minimal. And that helps keep the club thriving year to year. But because of that, you can get connected with a mentor who can, you can shadow maybe for a year before you dive in and buy your own equipment. I think that's a great way to go sure. and see them and their processes and what they do that you like, what maybe you would do different. And that shadowing process can be a valuable resource.
0: Okay. Wonderful. Well, let's talk about the biology of bees. So help our listeners understand what it is we're talking about, the terminology they need to know, and, and all of that.
1: Yeah, the terminology can be a barrier for some people. They come to Treasure Valley Beekeepers Club meetings. Maybe they read some resources online, and there's words in there that you've never heard before. Right. So you hear a drone, and you think, okay, I know that maybe that's referencing a bee, but it's also those those like, <laughs> you know, unmanned aircraft. So like, what are we talking about here? There's words like brood, which people in the ag world might know refers to the young of, of something, but there's a lot of terminology around the equipment we use. So that can be kind of intimidating sometimes, but as far as biology goes, it's important to note that there's three types of bees in a hive and there's the queen and she's a female. And she lays all the eggs, and her primary role is making sure that the hive is reproducing and and that the population is where it's supposed to be. So she lays a lot of eggs in the spring and summer to increase the population, and she decreases her laying in the fall and winter, and even goes to a, a stopping point in the winter so that the population comes down and they have a smaller amount to get through the winter. Okay. So she plays a key role there and communicates to the others with pheromones things like that. And then there's also the worker bees. The worker bees are the bees you see out and about. They're the ones that sting you. They're the ones that are out pollinating and that you see on plants gathering pollen and nectar. They're the ones that when you are looking at a hive and they're in the front kind of guarding it, those are also worker bees. They're the ones that make the wax and take care of the babies in the hive. They do all of that. And they're also female. Which is contrary to a lot of people's beliefs. They're they're also female. The only thing that separates them biologically from the queen is that they don't have a certain organ that the queen does, okay. which holds sperm from the males, so that the queen can then lay an egg and also fertilize it. Okay. So the workers do all the work, and right. then there's drones, which are male bees, and the drones they have uh, they don't have stingers. They aren't able to collect pollen or nectar. They can't build wax. They, they can't do any of those features that the worker bee does. Their one role as, as males is to mate with the queen. And once they mate with the queen, they die. So it's kind of, we have this running joke that if you see a drone, they haven't done anything because <laughs> they're still there living. So that, it's interesting that in a beehive, it's really kind of a woman's world. The males play a very special role, but it's very focused. Hmm. The women do everything else. So it's, those are the three types of bees you'll see in a hive. And they're very distinctly different. They may not look like that from the beginning, but as you work with a hive more and more, you'll see mm-hmm. the differences.
0: Okay. Well, talking about, for a second, if you will, about identifying eggs and and larvae and all the different stages of growth for bees.
1: Yeah, it's important as a beekeeper to identify those stages because it tells you how your hive is doing population-wise, how your queen is performing. So if you open your hive and you see no eggs at all, then I would be concerned that my queen might not even be in the hive. Okay. So it's important to be able to see those different stages. So there's really three main stages of brood development that's important for beekeepers to look for. So the first one is eggs. And they they're hard to see, but they are visible with the naked eye. And they look like tiny little grains of rice in the bottom of the cell. And they just barely stick up. So it it takes a second to see them. It's kind of like those puzzles you had as a kid where you cross your eyes. And when you do, you see the 3D image pop out. But once you do it once, you can do it a thousand times.
0: See, now you're making me feel bad. I was never able to do it. Well,
1: shoot. Sorry. (laughs) You just got to keep practicing, though. (laughs) I'm just teasing. So with with eggs, it's much the same way. Once you can see them once, it's easy to see them from there on out. But it takes focusing your eye in in the right place. But it's important to be able to see them because eggs only stay eggs for three days. So, if you see eggs, you know your queen is there or at least has been within the last few days. Okay. And then they turn into larvae, which are little crescent moon shaped worms Mm -hmm. that are a little bit older. And then they uh, turn into the pupil stage and the worker bees will cap their cells over the hexagon cells with beeswax to let them finish their development. And then they'll come out as adults. So being able to identify those three stages and seeing all of those at the same time tells Mm -hmm. you your queen is consistently laying and keeping the population maintained.
0: Oh, okay. So, that makes it really obvious why it's important to be able to identify all right. those three different stages.
1: Because I don't even necessarily look for the queen in my hive. I look for her work. Okay. If I see that she's doing her work, I know she's there, and I have less of a risk of injuring her by pulling out all the frames to look for her.
2: A lot of, a
1: lot of new beekeepers, they get excited to look at every single frame, which can, which can be good because you get to see everything that's in your hive, but Mm -hmm. you do risk injuring your most important bee.
0: I see. Okay. Well that makes a lot of sense. Right. And so ironically, my next question for you is how do you identify the queen?
1: Yeah, so it is it's exciting to see the queen. And that's kind of a, a goal in every hive inspection is to see her because she's she's the one that's different than the rest. And so the way to identify her, beekeepers have different tricks, right? There's no there's no specific rule for it, but she is larger in size. But she's actually not terribly larger than a drone, so a lot of people will see these drones walking around in Mm -hmm. the hive and think it's a queen because it's large, but they're shaped very different. So the queen's abdomen is long and thin, whereas the drones are fatter and shorter. So the long abdomen's a a key piece, and it kind of comes to a point. But I think the key piece to identifying a queen is that her thorax, so her middle part between her head and her abdomen, mm-hmm. is not fuzzy and hairy like the other bees, but it's it's shinier and flat black. Okay. So it's got no hair on it. And so I look for that shiny black dot running around the hive. Another thing I look for is the queen has a presence in a hive that the other bees don't. So she'll walk on top of the other bees and they'll kind of move out of her way. So I kind of look for that behavior too.
0: Okay, wonderful. Well, I'll tell you what, this is great information and I love bringing this type of information to our listeners and our sponsors make it possible. So let's take another break, hear from our sponsors and we'll come back, talk about some equipment.
2: Is your dog's true nature shining through, along with a shiny coat, too? Find out by filling up your pet's bowl with Purina One True Instinct Dog Food, available at D&B Supply. Purina One True Instinct gets back to nature and back to basics. Inspired by your dog's gut instinct to naturally choose nutrient-dense food, the expert nutritionists at Purina One developed a recipe that puts pure protein front and center. Let your dog's coat shine through by dishing out Purina One True Instinct Dog Food, available at your favorite d B supply
3: say you were to ride off into the sunset ideally what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing for horseback riders of all styles nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat available at D supply Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop on by your favorite D and B supply.
0: All right, Melinda. Well, let's talk about equipment. So now we know how to identify what's going on inside the hive. What do you need to have if you're going to raise bees and do it, successfully.
1: Yeah, so there's some basic equipment that's needed, but what I do think it's important is to remember that you don't need a ton to start out. There's a lot of folks that sell beekeeping equipment online and even some some folks nearby that can sell equipment and people will love to sell you as much as possible, but the truth is you don't need a ton of stuff to get started. The fun very specific gadgets can come later so i think it's important to focus on the basics so i would say the basic hive equipment that you need is you need a bottom board which serves as your foundation of your hive you need some hive boxes and the hive boxes come in a variety of different sizes there's deep ones that are nine and five eighths, and then shallow ones or medium ones also known as honey supers. Again, they, the terminology can get confusing because mm-hmm. things go by several different names. But there's deep ones that are nine and five eighths and smaller ones that are six and five eighths. Okay. And so some people use a combination of both. They'll use the deeper ones for the brood areas of the hive and then use the shallower ones for honey season because they're easier to lift off. Okay. But another example is I use all mediums because. Then all my frames are interchangeable in any of my boxes, and it's also just easier for me to move any of the equipment around because I'm out in my apiary all by myself usually, and so I can move that equipment very easily on my own. Whereas the deeps, um, which the Boise State B team, they use all deeps. They're strong, they're young, they can handle the heavier stuff, mm-hmm. but they use all deeps because of the interchangeability factor and they can handle the heavier weight. Okay. In addition to boxes, you need some frames that can go inside those boxes. And I like the ones that have the wooden frame portion with the plastic foundation that has the honeycomb imprint on it. Okay. And I like to use the ones that have the black foundation because it's easy to see those white eggs on a black foundation. So that makes a big difference for me.
0: Does the color make any difference? The color of the foundation, does that make any difference to the bees?
1: I haven't read any science that shows that it does but bees see in different in a different color wave than we do so they see in ultraviolet so they see a different spectrum than we do and so the the colors are different to them than they would be to us so i haven't read anything that shows that they that they care so i think it's really a user preference
0: okay well I was thinking about my next question a while ago, but it's probably better to ask it here where we're going to ask about the tools, Mm -hmm. the smoker, the protective equipment, all of that. Right. But I wanted to ask you, with the people that join the B-team at Boise State, do people join but have a fear of being stung?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I would imagine almost anyone's a little afraid of being stung, especially if they haven't been stung before. Mm -hmm. So we have a variety of different... Hive suits, uh, and protective gear that the students can wear. So some that are very protective, which is like the full suit that covers your face and your limbs and everything, mm-hmm. and then gloves and close toed shoes. You're pretty sting proof at that point, which doesn't mean you should just go out and throw your equipment around and not care, but it, it does give you that level of confidence that a lot of new beekeepers want and need mm-hmm. to get started. But the downside is those suits are really hot, especially in the summer. Right. Uh, And on the roof of the student union, it's maybe 13 (laughs) degrees hotter than it is anywhere else. So there's uh, other things. There's jackets that have the face covering, or you can go light and wear your own comfortable clothing with just the hat and the veil. So it depends on your comfort level. But my suggestion is of all things to cover, cover your face and your neck, because that's the place that's going to hurt if you get stung. Okay.
0: Okay. All right. And let's talk about hive tool. What is that?
1: So hive tool is like the Swiss army knife of beekeeping. It does everything. It's a metal tool that has a curve on one end and then a flat kind of a wedge that's sharp on the other end and you use it for everything. So the flat side you can use to wedge between two boxes to crack them open because Mm -hmm. bees will seal every nook and cranny up with propolis, which is a sticky substance that they use for keeping their hive hygienic or beeswax. So you can use that to crack things open. You can use the curved end to put between two frames to then maneuver them apart so you can pull it out with your fingers. You can use that flat end to scrape propolis and beeswax off of frames uh, in places that you don't want propolis and beeswax. That makes it hard to to access your hive. So it's really a multi-tool. And it costs maybe four or five dollars online. Mm-hmm. So it's a really cheap tool that's a must-have. I really encourage people to not try to think outside the box on that one because I find that that tool is just perfect.
0: Okay wonderful and now what about the smoker? Do you use one at Boise State?
1: Yes we use a smoker and the reason we do is smoke is is actually very not invasive to the bees especially if you don't you overuse smoke. So mm-hmm. we use clean materials that, that burn nice and clean. We, we wouldn't use anything that has, you know, paint or a finish on it or something like that. So just raw materials and that smoke... What it does is it disrupts their pheromone communication. So bees communicate with pheromones very heavily. Mm -hmm. They use pheromones to tell each other that things are good, that things are bad, what they need, what they have enough of. And so they also use it to communicate when there's a problem. So if you're... A new beekeeper, and you're maybe nervous and and jolty and jerky, and don't have quite the finesse yet that you want. The bees are going to pick up on that because you're accidentally dropping things and squishing bees on accident, maybe. And when bees get squished, it releases that pheromone. Okay. Same as when they sting you, it releases a pheromone that hey, there's a problem, and it's right here where <laughs> they stung. Okay. And so, smoke disrupts that pheromone and puts them back to a more just homeostasis point. So, as long as you don't use too much, then it really causes no disruption to the bees.
0: Okay. So, when you do use smoke, how do, how do you use it? So, mm-hmm. what's the process? Do you come out and smoke the hive before you do anything to it, or what do you do?
1: I do that. So... What I like to do, and again, ask 10 beekeepers, right. get 20 answers, right? So, But here's what I do. I, I go up to my hive and I kind of look before I ever do anything. I look at the entrance and I just see what's the level of activity today. You know, and I, I kind of take a look at that. And if they seem really active and there's lots of bees coming in and out and maybe they seem a little on edge more than normal, then I'll, I'll put the smoker in the entrance and give it about five puffs. If they're looking pretty calm, then I might just give two, three puffs in the in the front entrance or so. It kind of depends on how much smoke's coming out of my smoker too. Some days I, I get a better smoke going than <laughs> right. others. So put a little smoke in the front entrance, let it sit for just a minute, and mm-hmm. then I crack open the top. Puff a little smoke on top and then just see what happens. Start my inspection. And if I don't have any problems, if I don't see that they're getting agitated, if I don't see the worker bees lining up and looking at me, Mm -hmm. then I don't really smoke again unless I need to. So I I use smoke at the beginning just to get the hives temperament at at bay. And then I just use it as needed when I see temperament increase, which certain times of the year is going to be more than others.
0: Okay. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so last but not least, purchasing your bees. How do you do this?
1: There's a couple of options. Actually, there's lots of options. Some are just better than others. So, there's two options that I would suggest for people that are getting started. You can buy a nucleus hive, which is also known as a nuke, or you can get a package of bees. So, a nucleus hive is going to run you 140 to 150 in price, and there are folks in our area that sell those. So Honey Gold out in Nampa, for example, or Marseille Nampa area, mm-hmm. they sell nucleus hives as do folks in the Treasure Valley Beekeepers Club. So if you're a member of the club, they take an order and then they actually go out to Hermiston, Oregon and pick those nucleus hives up and bring them back for okay. people in the club that ordered them from a, a, a dealer out there that's a commercial beekeeper that's known to be really good. So there's a couple of options here locally. And then you can also buy packages of bees. And those are cheaper. They're 90 to to $100, but they're harder to install. They're more complicated for new beekeepers to install, I okay. would say. They're kind of intimidating because you dump bees into a hive, essentially. But they're a little cheaper. Those are actually harder to find anymore. The honey store out in Fruitland sells them, but generally their list fills up in January. So they're already, their list's already full, so you probably couldn't... You could get on their wait list, maybe, and those... They pick up, I think, in the very middle of April, mm-hmm. but uh, those are a little bit cheaper. But the downside is you're dumping bees into a hive with brand new frames that have nothing going on them yet. So there's no wax drawn out yet. Whereas the nucleus hive is a miniature hive, four or five frames that you then just move into an ex- a box and fill with empty frames on the side. So it's it's the better way to get going, I would say, even though it's a little more expensive.
0: Okay. All right. Well, this is great information. Let's take one last break, and then we'll move into talking about the year of the bee.
1: Cool.
2: Know how to work it on and off the job? Wear Dickies with jeans, pants, shirts, and more made for all you hardworking, good-looking types. Find what's fit to be worn at D&B. Since 1922, Dickies has been making it work with denim and other duds that go the distance. These days Dickies comes in all fits, fabrics, styles and sizes, but one core thing holds true. They sure do hold up. When you want to wear it well without wearing it out, pick up some Dickies at D&B Supply.
3: Good nutrition can mean the difference between best in show and better not go. So how can you make sure your future prize-winning livestock is getting exactly what it needs to succeed? Seasoned showmen and women use Neutrina Show Edge. Neutrina Show Edge provides a simple program that gives you the edge in the ring so you can focus on what it takes to be a winner. Neutrina Show Edge Livestock Feeds and Supplements, available at your local D&B Supply. All right, Melinda. Well, let's talk about the year As, as we go through. A
0: year in a bee's life, or however you want to phrase, sure. phrase it. Sure, yeah. What does that look like? I guess we could start, we'll start wherever you want.
1: Sure, so let's let's pretend that you're a beekeeper, that's just, you're an aspiring beekeeper. So maybe you're just diving into beekeeping for the first time. So I would say January is where you really need to be doing your research and purchasing equipment. So that seems really early to a lot of folks, but it's really not. Because if you wait until it's beekeeping time, to get your equipment, you're gonna be scrambling. So January is a good time to be purchasing equipment. And if you wanna save some money, purchasing equipment that's not assembled can be a great way to save a dollar. And then also build your equipment in a way that you know, it's well built. Okay. So there's an advantage to, to building it yourself. So you want to be doing that in January. And you also want to be calling beekeepers and getting on their list to purchase bees in January or February. So we're in March now. So it's a little late, but there's still folks that you can buy nucleus hives from this time mm-hmm. of year, including the Treasure Valley Beekeepers Club, Honey Gold, places like that. So January and February, it's actually a little bit busier. If you're starting out, you're buying your equipment, you're buying your bees, you're doing some research and making sure that when the bees get here, you know what to do. Okay. Because when they get here, you don't have a lot of time to think about it. you got to install them. Mm -hmm. So generally, March and April and May are when your bees are going to arrive. So if you order a package, say, from the honey store out in Fruitland, you're going to be picking that up usually that middle Saturday in April. And you have to install it that night or maybe the next at the latest. So you want to know how to install it. So doing some research on that can be really helpful. And then, if you ordered a nucleus, you're going to be picking that up from the beekeeper probably in late April or early May. Okay. And then that's a pretty easy installation process there. So after your hive uh, is, your bees are installed in your hive, you're going to be doing some hive inspections. So after you install them, you want to let them be pun intended for <laughs> a couple of weeks at least to get settled. And then in May and June, you're going to be doing some early hive inspections. And what you're looking for, the main thing you're looking for is, is my queen performing? Cause if your queen is not performing, you need to take action and get a new queen. Okay. And there are people in the Valley, usually other beekeepers, the treasure Valley beekeepers club. Again, is a great resource for mm-hmm. that to buy Queens from. If you have a queen that has failed or is not performing well. So when you're doing your hive inspections, you're looking for signs that she's laying eggs, that there's a variety of, of larval stages there, that they're bringing in resources like nectar and pollen, and that all things are well on the home front. So that's okay. what you're looking for. And then as the season goes on, June and July is when summer's here and you want to make sure that your hive has some water nearby. So just like any other animal, they need water. Mm -hmm. So having a resource nearby is important. And then adding boxes as they need space. So the general rule of thumb, although there are no rules in beekeeping, is when 7 to 10 of the frames are filled out in one box, that's when you should add another. Okay. Once that has 7 out of 10 filled up, add another. And that's kind of the rule of when you need to start giving them a little bit more space. But as a first year beekeeper, you may not harvest any honey this first year. So your hive may not grow to a very many boxes high, maybe two or three.
3: Okay.
1: Uh, Whereas returning beekeepers with hives that come out of winter really healthy. I mean, they can get stacked up five, six high sometimes, which is pretty exciting to see. Sure. And then after honey harvest season, which is, you know, the end of July, beginning of August, that's when you really want to make sure that your hive is in good shape going into winter. And so you're kind of seeing a theme here. Maybe there's there's a sense of thinking a couple of months ahead all the time. So in Mm -hmm. January, you're thinking about March, April and March and April, you're thinking about summer and in summer, you're thinking about fall and in fall, you better be preparing for winter. So August is the time that we're making sure that our mite counts in our hive are as low as possible. So I usually treat for mites at that point if my counts are above about 4%. Okay. And then from there, I make sure they have plenty of honey going into winter. And then in winter, you don't mess with them very much.
0: Well, and that brings up a really good question that obviously, being who I am, I think they're producing the honey for me. But that's right. that's not why they're that's, producing the honey. That's what I think
1: most of the time too.
0: <laughs> but why are they producing the honey?
1: So they produce honey to get through the winter. So it's, it's sort of like a bear gathering all of his berries and, and things trying to prepare for hibernation because there's not going to be a lot of food sources available in the wintertime and they can't fly in the wintertime in areas that are really cold, Idaho being one of them. Mm-hmm. So they collect nectar they turn it into honey and that honey which won't uh, spoil can be the food source for them through the winter time okay so it's important to leave them uh, in our area it's about 60 to 80 pounds but i always err on the higher side of that because it sucks to lose your hive to starvation yeah if you didn't leave them enough
0: now, is there a way to gauge the weight of honey that you're leaving in the, in the hive?
1: Yeah, there's a couple of ways. Some people get like a fish scale... And they will physically weigh the the hive and and maybe even some particular boxes that are full of honey. So you could do it that way, but that requires an investment. I think just eyeballing it can be the best way. So the way that I would suggest is if you have a deep box, so the nine and five eighths inch box, mm-hmm. I would suggest having one of those with ten frames full of honey. That should be be about enough okay but again i always err on the on the higher side the heavier side going through winter and this winter has been a good example of one where you would hope you had extra (laughs) right yeah
0: yeah very cold now speaking of that how do they keep from freezing to death during the winter
1: So bees are adapted to be able to handle cold winters. It's pretty amazing. A lot of beekeepers, especially new ones, we get really nervous like, oh my gosh, should I move it into a garage? Should I wrap it and insulate it? And and generally the answer is no, They're, they're designed to be able to handle this cold, but the way that they do that is the queen brings her population down to a smaller size so there's less mouths to feed. And that way the honey will get them through the winter and the they'll form a cluster, right? It's so they're in a box that's separated by 10 frames, but they form this sort of volleyball round cluster size and the worker bees will Sort of detach their wings from flying mode, and they'll go into buzzing mode, and they vibrate essentially and create warmth to keep that cluster warm. And much like penguins, they do a similar thing. The ones on the outside will rotate inward, and they kind of trade spots so that the ones on the outside aren't taking all the the cold from okay. ev- and protecting everyone from the cold the whole season. So they'll rotate, and the, as the winter goes on, they'll move upward and eat through the honey that's above them. And so that's what keeps them warm during the winter is, is all of that energy from that honey and them buzzing their little bodies and keeping that queen warm in the center.
0: Okay. Well, this has been great. I want to ask you one last question. Do you have any special tips or tricks to keep from getting stung?
1: I think the biggest tip is practice. Okay. Which means you're going to get stung in the process. <laughs> but I, I think it's really learning how to move around bees and learning to feel comfortable with them flying around you. So, you know, tip number one is is if you're new and you're nervous, cover yourself because that will give you the confidence to be able to learn that finesse that it takes to be a beekeeper. And so, covering yourself can be important. Gloves are optional but certainly if you're uncomfortable with something tickling your hand, wearing gloves can be helpful. Mm-hmm. You do have to be careful though as you're wearing gloves that you can tell what you're touching because when you have thick leather gloves on, it's easy to not really sense what you're squishing on accident and it Mm -hmm. might be a bee and then that sets their temperament off but practice allows you to get more comfortable and learn a sort of tai chi method if you will you (laughs) want to move you want to move slowly but intentionally and and with purpose but without jolting and so it's this practice of learning how to crack the hive open without it shaking the hive and setting the lid off and pulling a frame out without squishing the bees on the sides as you're pulling it upward or squishing them as you're putting it back in and just learning where the bees are and paying attention and learning to be comfortable with their movement around you
0: great oh and i wanted to ask you before i let you go about wasps so we lost our hive Mm. this fall to Mm -hmm. wasps what can a person do to do whatever they can to keep that from happening
1: Well, this was a pretty interesting fall for that. Normally, I think people are crazy when they say they lose their hives to wasps, but this year was funky. The weather stayed warm until, what, almost Thanksgiving? Mm -hmm. And so those wasps had a threshold on those bees much longer than they normally do, which is is not, that's not normal. And so an average season, it's easier to fight off wasps that this year was tough So um, there's a couple of strategies that you can do to prevent wasps from taking over your hive. One of them is make sure that your hive is, is healthy because a healthy hive can fight off wasps pretty much on their own, but so that, so that includes making sure that the varroa mites are low in your hive and, and that they've got enough honey and, and all of those basic things. But in addition to that, you can put entrance reducers on a hive. So if you look at a beehive, you'll notice that the front entrance is the entire length of, um, of that front. Mm -hmm. And that means that those guard bees have to guard that entire strip. Sure. And so if you block off Honestly, three quarters of it, maybe even more in the late, in the late, maybe late summer, early fall, when you start noticing wasps really being around, then they have a smaller area they have to guard. Okay. And so they can keep wasps from penetrating their hive. Another thing is while it's still warm outside, you know, making sure that other entrances to the hive, sometimes beekeepers leave a top entrance, things like that. So blocking those off sometimes or making them minimal, again, just reduces the guarding points that the bees have to protect. So that can be a real, a real helpful thing. The other thing is just trying to control the amount of wasps that are around your place, which if you live in rural, rural areas, I mean, there's a thousand places those suckers yeah. can live. I and mean, even in urban areas, they find nooks and crannies in awnings and, and you name it to make homes, but trying to control their presence is a good tip as well.
0: Okay. Well, great. Melinda, this has been fantastic. Great, great information. Thanks can't for wait. having me. Yeah, you bet. I can't wait to go back through and make my list of things I have to do. So, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all this today.
1: We'll see you next time.
0: Thank you all for joining us today. And here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DB Show,
2: I'm Matt Breckwald.